It's time for Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bimert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Line. Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, S&W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts and Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle dealer, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Now, here's your host for Brainerd Outdoors, Ryan Moon. Well, it's starting to feel a little more like spring, which is nice. Turkey hunters are out and about. We'll see how things have progressed here with Season A with Rollin Hill. Also, Steve Sapaniak will drop by, talk some early open water northern pike. He's had an article recently published in Field and Stream. We'll talk about that. Melissa Barrick, who is the district manager with Crow Wing Soil and Water, will drop by and talk about the one watershed, one plan for the Pine River watershed and what that's all about. Plus, another great recipe from Chef Joel from Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. All that and more on this week's edition of Brainerd Outdoors. And we kick off the show like we always do with our lake and field report brought to you by oars and mine and crosby no matter if your goal is pike trout walleyes or bass oars and mine gives you 10 different ways to get the bite the next time you're in the cuyuna area oars and mine a must stop located on highway 6 in crosby and something we haven't really talked a lot about and it sort of snuck up on me and a lot of hunters as well because of the late winter late arrival of spring if you will and that is turkey season Pleased to be joined again this year. He was our turkey expert last year and back again for another round of it is Rollin Hill. Uh, Rollin, welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors. Thank you. Great to be back. Great to be talking to you. And I'm sure, you know, like I said in the open, I mean, it kind of snuck up on a lot of us. We're already to the end of season A for turkey season. And what a difference a year makes, Rollin, compared to where the birds were this time last year and where they are now. You know, it always seems like it doesn't matter once that first season comes along, there's always some good hunting. But this year what happened, I think, is just because we had all the snow, we still have ice on the lakes, a lot of these birds were still staying in their groups. And the gobbling, because it was so cold, there wasn't a lot of gobbling. So when we scouted, we weren't paying, we weren't scouting a whole lot because we weren't hearing a lot of gobbles. Now, some people probably did, but we weren't getting a lot of gobbles on some of our spots uh, that we normally do. But once season started, it warmed up last Wednesday. We ended up getting a couple birds Friday morning, and then we, we got another one Saturday evening. And we had a great season A because they just fired up and they got going, and and there was, there was good gobbling in the morning, and it, it turned into something that, like it normally does, you have seven-day seasons now. You're going to get some good hunting in those seven days, providing the weather was cooperative. The weather was great. And it looks like season B, looks like the, the weather is, this weekend is going to be excellent for turkey hunting. You know, we talked to Matt Brewer a few weeks ago, maybe a week or so before turkey opener. His big concern was they were all grouped up, uh, and that was going to be the case heading into that first season. And they kind of were, but you and I were talking off air. It sure didn't take long for them, almost overnight, for them to go into that spring mode. Right. We had I had turkeys on my land. In fact, I had a fair amount of toms that were gobbling that we could hear. In fact, we put some to bed, I think it was Wednesday night or Thursday night, and my my one son was was here, and he put him to bed on Wednesday night. We just 
he was outside with his dog and he just played with the call and you could hear gobblers all around. We tried to hunt him Friday morning. Yeah, we had some close encounters, but nothing came in. We just thought, well, it'd be great. Um, but what happened was, is they just took off and now I haven't heard a gobble by my house for about four days. <laughs> so all those toms and all the hens just kind of scattered. And I'm sure they're there somewhere. They're probably close, but it's they did take off, and that was a that was something good to see because now what happens is they're really scattered all over the woods. So everybody has a good chance to get turkeys, and you never know if they're not there one day, they're there the next day. That's the beauty about hunting uh, Brainerd by hunting Crow Wing County, Aiken County, uh, Cass County, uh, everything like that. They they scatter out. There's a lot of woods. And there's great opportunities out there, especially on all the public land. This is getting to be really fun. What we're actually experiencing, too, is something that we kind of talked about for years. Just a group of who we hunt with. I hunt with my two sons, my nephews, just some other friends. Is We've always talked about once the hen population gets to, to where there's a lot more hens in their toms, like a lot of places there is, uh, what happens is, is those toms will shut up. And when they come off the roost, they'll be gobbling, they'll be gobbling, hit the ground, and they're just quiet. That's mainly because they already have hens with them. So they spend a lot of time with hens. So if you can get the hens to come, of course, it's always great because usually they're in tow with the tom. Uh, but the other thing is we haven't seen yet is those subordinate toms that are cruising by themselves, the, the pairs of toms, the ones, the twos, they get kicked out by the big tom, and that big tom has its harem with them and we're going to start experiencing that i would assume probably as we're speaking maybe even a little bit later is in the next week or so and probably season c we're going to see that a lot as we're you get those one and two birds those toms all by themselves they gobble their heads off and they're not with hens but they're looking so that's what happens i think in the seasons they kind of as it progresses is the big toms always stay with the, the dominant toms get the hands, and the subordinate toms and jakes, of course, are off doing their own thing, just kind of looking for hands. So somebody that's heading out this weekend, Rollin, based on where we are and what you've seen, how do they want to go about with their decoy placement? Do they want to do anything special? And as far as calling goes, what's the tactic there right now? Well, I always say decoy placement. Right now, I mean, everybody has their theory about it, but I'm going with no decoys this year just because I like the challenge of it. And I like them as being curiosity, so I call and I work a bird like that. But if you're going to use decoys, I, I prefer one jake or one hen. But one jake is really the best. Boy, they seem to just pile into just a jake decoy. Even when you're doing hen calling, they just pile into that. They're, they know that something's up and they always seem to come in, and that's the Tom seem to do that. So I prefer one jake. Or one hand. I usually don't put two out, but you know what? Everybody has a difference of opinions. This is my preference. I like to go with no decoys because it gives them a curiosity. And when I mean no decoys, I'm usually hunting the woods and these trails. So the gobblers are curious, and they're trying to find the bird, and they won't lock up if they see a decoy at 80 yards. They won't lock up because they expect that hen to come. They'll keep coming and keep looking uh, for the uh, for the for the hen that's making noise. So. That's kind of the way that we've been doing it. Also with calls, just mainly, you know, just some light yelps. Uh, you can get aggressive, but once that bird is talking to you, 
doesn't take much, if, if any. Sometimes if he knows you're there, he's he's coming. So a lot of times the less calling the better. That's what we always say, less calling the better, once you grab their attention. And we're not quite running and gunning yet, are we? Well, <laughs> I, I tried this morning and tried to run and gun this morning. It didn't work for me, and I got schooled by a, Tom. I got outwitted by Tom this morning, and that's just the way it is. And I thought I was... I thought I was going to have him in, but no, he he uh, he had other plans, and I think he was with Hens, but I could hear him from a long ways away and trying to close the distance, but then he actually kind of, I think he caught me, because with no leaves in the, and it's still a little crunchy, I think he, I think he caught me and caught my movement, and I tried to get too close to him, and that's what happened, and when we run and gun, we call, we move towards the bird. We call, we move towards the bird, we get him the gobble, we fire him up, we try to move as close as we can. And sometimes, like this morning, you get too close, boom, you <laughs> also stop because he stopped gobbling and I knew he was gone. That's what makes it fun, no doubt. And uh, as Rollins said, uh, I think the best hunting is still in front of us yet as we're now starting to get some semblance of normalcy here throughout spring. And we'll have Rollins uh, keeping us updated throughout the spring turkey season on how things are progressing. I, Rollins, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us. I know you're going to spend a lot more time out in the woods. You like to take a lot of uh, youth hunting with you and stuff, and I think that's a great thing. So good luck out there, and we'll check in here real soon. You're welcome. Good luck, everybody. Thank you. All right, when we come back, it is hard to believe we are two weeks away from fishing opener. Will we have fishable water? That's the million-dollar question. We'll talk some open-water pike fishing with Steve Sapaniak. He just had an article recently published in Field and Stream, so we'll check in with him when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and we bring in our good friend Steve Sapaniak with Predator at Guide Service. Steve always keeps us updated on what's going on out on Mille Lacs. We're going to talk to Steve about an article that he has in the latest issue of Field and Stream about northern pike fishing tactics. Uh, before we get into that, Steve, I, I guess it, like many of our other lakes here, I mean, we, we talked with our good buddy Eric Osberg out on Otter Tail Lake, and that ice out there is a mess. I, I talked to my good buddy Wayne right here in Brainerd out on Rice Lake with the Mississippi there, and there, you know, the shoreline starting to break away, the ice starting to look black on Gull Lake. I would assume same thing on Mille Lacs right now. It's just it, we're done for ice fishing. We are. I was up there the other day checking things out, hoping to get out a little bit and check the cabin, Brian, and it, the shoreline just didn't look safe. You know, there were spots out there, and you could see on the main body it was either blue or turning black. I know there's good ice out there somewhere, but if I was the people listening, I would not take a chance. You know, with this warm weather that's coming, you know, even worse with high winds, it's not going to be long. That lake is going to break up, and right now it's just not safe, and same with the smaller lakes. I was on them a few days ago. We barely got out. The shoreline looked rough, and we didn't stay out that late neither, my friend. We came back pretty early just to make sure we had uh, safe access off the lake, let's say. It's kind of a shame because we're missing out on that great crappie bite that we get on the Lax uh, right before opener. Oh, definitely. I look so forward to that. You know, some really big crappies and big bluegills, you know, they're tough to find, but once you find them, it's a blast, and we're going to miss it, unfortunately. On the other side... That's just more fish for us come spring and next winter. So there is an upbeat to everything. And I have a feeling, Steve, you know, I don't know. It's all going to depend on the weather, and, and we'll see what happens with our, our lakes for fishing opener. But crappies may be the way to go. That might be the only thing we can fish come opener. Uh, I've been thinking the same thing. I wasn't going to say nothing, but you're absolutely right. I mean, there's nothing wrong with chasing those big black crappies. Like I said, in our group, we've gotten crappies up to 17 inches. That's huge anywhere in the United States. 
and Mille Lacs Lake has them. They're far and few in between, but they're there. And I think you're absolutely right. The timing is going to be perfect for the open water, especially around the bays. You know, I'll walk on Cove on the east side and up on the north northwest side there. You know, it's going to be the right temperature. We might catch those crappies in the shallows, which they should be right now, and they're not. So it's going to be a win-win situation, I'm sure. Yeah, and we talked with John Thielen last week on the show, uh, Steve, about shore fishing tactic and stuff. People shouldn't sleep on the Lacs. There's a lot of shore fishing opportunities. That may be the best way to go come opener here. We'll see with the weather, but in a couple of weeks, that may be the best way to go. We have taken so many nice-sized northern walleye and perch from shore and crappies. It's unbelievable. You don't always have to land your boat and go to the other side of the lake. You know, you're missing great opportunities right by the landing. The landings are dug out. They attract a lot of minnows and everything. Those walleyes and perch and crappies are going to be right in there also. So that's something for us to keep in mind. Trying to keep a positive, open mind here, Steve, as we head towards opener, and hopefully Mother Nature will cooperate as well. Wanted to talk to you about the uh, article you had in the latest issue of Field and Stream about northern pike tactics. You're best known, Steve, for muskie guiding out on Mille Lacs. Been doing it for uh, over 30 years. Uh, But, you know, pike, you've been chasing those big pike around out there as well. A lot of knowledge throughout the years in which you're sharing now. Well, thank you. Yeah, it's in the latest issue of Field and Stream, Brian. Uh, they got an uh, article. Of, there was a bunch of uh, guides they got a hold of across the United States, and they got a hold of me. I was really excited. This is the third time they featured my guide service. And, yeah, I do. We have been lucky over the years with uh, catching northern pike. I, in fact, I started guiding for pike before I started for muskies, and they just sort of worked hand in hand. My guide service to date has, with my clients, we've taken over 800 northerns over 40 inches. That's a lot of big pike, you know. And, uh, yeah, they wanted some information on opening weekend and stuff. And we talked about, uh, they wanted me to talk about spinnerbaits. So I covered the spinnerbait aspect of it, opening weekend, you know, or early spring, let's say, early spring. Uh, you find the cabbage weeds with the right spinnerbait, and that's the key, folks. You have to have the right spinnerbait, and you're going to be successful. My big uh, topic was let these spinnerbaits sink a little bit, you know, at least two, three seconds. Get down in the weeds, Brian. And not every spinnerbait is a producer. I'm not knocking anybody, but uh, we've had our best luck with Colorado blades, not uh, Indiana, not willow leaf, but our best luck has been Colorado blades. They give off a thumb factor, and that is the key when chasing the toothy critters, especially muskies and northern pike, get that thumb factor going, slow roll it near the bottom, and hang on, it's going to happen. So they're more receptive to sound, you would think, Steve, than more of a visual presentation. Definitely, you know, that time of year, especially if you're fishing muddy waters or murky waters, you want to hone in on that lateral line. They pick up vibration, you know, they pick up that vibration, they'll follow it. Then once they get close enough, they'll, they will see that lure. Even in Mille Lacs Lake, it's a it's pretty clear lake at times. And I know we've called in northerns from 20, 30 feet away to follow the vibration. Then they see the lure and they come and attack it. What I like to do that time of year is what's called a one-two punch. I wrote an article for Outdoor News about it. We're slowly trolling the edge of the weed line, casting, and we'll drag a sucker minnow behind. We've taken uh, northern pike up to 22 pounds while we're casting with a sucker minnow, and we've taken that pike on the sucker minnow, uh, you know, 22-pounder. So it's a win-win situation. If you have three in the boat, have one or two sucker minnows out and one person or two persons cast it. It's all legal. Take turns with the sucker minnow and hang on. It's going to be fun. Back to that thump factor you were talking about, Steve. Do you think that's the biggest mistake some northern anglers make as they're trying to be just a little too flashy? 
Oh, definitely. Especially in in the United States. I mean, even in uh, Canada, things are getting a little bit more fine-tuned. These fish have seen everything. You know, flash is great, but you want to hone in on something that's going to attract them. So you take a look at what the northern pike has going for them. They have three different um, senses. They've got the eyesight, they've got the olfactory, which is smell, and then they've got the lateral line, which is a vibration. I key in on an orange-colored blade, Colorado blade, they love orange for some reason. If you don't have orange, go red. Uh, the body, it all depends. If it's a sunny day, Brian, I go with a gray body uh, skirt. And if it's a cloudy day, I go with black. And then I always and always put a white single-tail grub on. If you can find a scent-impregnated grub, you've got all three bases covered. You've got the thumb factor for the lateral line. You've got the visual gray or black body for the eyesight. And then that single white grub You've got the olfactory that gives off a smell. And I always use white, Brian, because every fish's belly in the freshwater system is white. Game fish, bait fish, or prey fish. The rest of the body is different color, but it's always white. And I, I have stopped guided trips to, you know, take off for 15, 20 minutes and pick up more grub tails. It's worth it. You know, and all these tactics, Steve, that you've accumulated through the years, a lot of this, I would assume, is trial and error, right? Oh, definitely. You know, we paid our dues. You know, my poor wife, you know, has put up with many times, many days. I'm gone, you know, and experimenting, trying to get a pattern down, trying to find out what's going on. So I give a lot of my success and our guide service success to my wife, putting up with my madness. She's been good. But you do have to experiment. Every lake is different. Not every lake is the same. But one thing I have noticed, you know, if you get to a new lake, do what you do on your favorite lake. Start off with that tactic. Then if nothing happens, you know, switch up real quick from there. That's the key. That was going to be my next question because you spend a lot of time up in Canada, too, chasing trophy pike. What's the difference between Mille Lacs and fishing in Canada? Oh, there, there can be a huge difference. One thing, this time of year, early season, you know, we're throwing spinner baits. But you know, if you get way up into Canada, Ontario, or Manitoba, dead bait is the key, really, in the season, until about the middle of June. Uh, we'll take a great big chunk of whitefish or a tulipy or cisco, and uh, just take a chunk of it, toss it on a treble hook with a bobber, kick back, and enjoy the fun. I've got a picture of one of my uh, clients. He wanted to go up there, and he paid my way up there and everything. And um, I got a picture of uh, him. Or excuse me, he took the picture of myself and his son. We got a 23 and a 25-pound northern in the same net. Wow, that's pretty impressive. That is, it was fun. I hang on to that picture carefully, but after the middle of June, you know, and I remember for us, that's more like the end of July, but after the middle of June, you know, they start getting into spinnerbaits and everything else. But early in the season, this spring, I would do that one-two punch in Minnesota on my lax lake. That's my favorite technique, and in other lakes, too, in Minnesota. Sacramento and spinnerbaits, you can't beat it. So as we head into opener, Steve, here in a few weeks, uh, let's say, best-case scenario, we do have some open water to fish on Mille Lacs, um, but it's going to be colder water. What would you be doing if somebody said, let's go out for a, a northern pike trip? If I could get out on the water with my boat or even from shore, it's going to be uh, cast and small spinnerbaits, bass-sized spinnerbaits. So they're going to be attacking them. And then if uh, i got a couple people I'm guiding, we're on shore or in a boat, I would definitely toss out one sucker minnow. You know, they'll, they'll follow that flash of that spinnerbait and the thumb factor. And if they don't want it, they, at least they got a sucker minnow in the same area nearby they can go to and turn to that. So there you go. Uh, hopefully, as we said, fingers crossed we'll be able to get out on the water if Mother Nature cooperates here in a few weeks. Uh, last thing, Steve, I wanted to ask you about uh, this, being we don't have much to do, Right now we got turkey hunting. That's about all that's going on right now. Uh, not a bad time to get all your stuff ready so when opener does come, you can hit the water running. 
hit the water running exactly right. Change that fishing line. Get those reels greased up. Make sure all the eyes are and everything is in good shape. You want to clean up your rod and reel as best you can. Get new line on. If you're using super line on a bait caster or a spinning outfit, make sure you put a monofilament backer there for a few turns. That's the key. Otherwise, it'll slide on the spool. But uh, get the boat ready. I've been working on my boat, getting all the life jackets cleaned up, getting the boat looking nice and sharp and fancy, because I don't like to take anyone out, including myself alone, in a dirty-looking boat. No one likes that. Get the lures ready. Get all your equipment. Get your uh, lures that you're going to be using. Sharpen those babies up, razor sharp. That's, this is the time to do it, not when you're on the water. You know, Make sure the landing net's in good shape. Make sure your lights work well. Make sure your sonar's working well. Make sure the live well is working well, just in case you tie into some of those big crappies. You want everything there for you. And on that note, too, if you tie into the big crappies, if you're keeping anything over 13 inches, you're really making a waste. It takes about 15, about 12 to 15 years for a crappie to reach about 13 inches and about 12 to 15 years for a sunfish to reach over 10. You know, these are the time uh, prime producers let them go, keep something smaller for the table, and it's a win-win situation for you and the fish. And one thing I'll add to that with you mentioned making sure everything's running properly and stuff, especially your boat motor, because if it's going to be busy on the landings, you don't want to be that guy. No, you don't want to be that guy. And when you get to the landing, don't be uh, the one who's right there ready to back up, but you got to take your tarp off. you got to get everything else ready. You do that before you get to the landing. I can remember many times opening day, if I didn't have to guide, I would just sit at the landing to watch the folly. Oh, my goodness. If you're the guy that's ready to back your boat in and then you stop to take your tarp off, expect a lot of dirty looks. I'd imagine so. That's for sure. Well, it's going to be interesting here in a couple of weeks, Steve. Uh, Some very good info from you on Northern Pike. Uh, We appreciate that. We'll be going to you throughout the summer and spring for the report out of Mille Lacs, especially once we get into musky season as well. Steve Pontiac, Predator Guide Service. You can check him out at PredatorGuideService.com. Steve, I appreciate it. We'll talk to you soon, buddy, okay? My pleasure, Brian. Thank you. All right, when we come back, Melissa Barrick, who is the district manager with Crow Wing Soil and Water, will drop by. She'll talk about the uh, One Watershed, One Plan, comprehensive water plan for the Pine River Watershed and what that all entails when we come back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3. Welcome back to Brainerd Outdoors on B93.3, and we get a visit once again from our good friend Melissa Barrick. She is the district manager with Crowing Soil and Water, and Crowing County announced the kickoff of the Pine River Watershed, which is entitled One Watershed, One Plan, or uh, 1W1P. And we brought Melissa in to kind of explain what this is all about, Melissa, because it's kind of a a thing that's been in the making here for a little bit. Um, Yeah, so we have been working, uh, the state of Minnesota has kind of started a new process on how they kind of look at um, where we're going to do sort of practices within certain areas. And so first of all, I guess I want to just say, what is a watershed? So a lot of times people think a watershed is a a shed with water in it. Uh Ha ha, right? But what I like to say is a watershed if you would stand on one of the bridges in Brainerd and you would throw a bottle over the bridge, where would it end up? That's a good question. So eventually, you know, the Mississippi River in Brainerd goes all the way down to the Gulf of Mexico. So you can kind of start as like big and say that, you know, all of our water eventually goes down to the Gulf of Mexico. Or you can break it up even smaller to smaller units of kind of where does that water move? So the underground piece and then also the the surface water, where that water is moving. And so um, the state of Minnesota has started looking at um, watersheds as a way to start to do um, management 
element uh, of water water clarity and water quantity um, because um, they don't necessarily follow the political county boundaries. So um, if you look at the state of Minnesota, um, I believe there's 87 counties roughly, um, and there's 81 uh, what we're calling major watersheds. Um, and so th- these boundaries don't necessarily match. And um, a lot of times if we're going to solve some of these resource issues, we got to kind of understand where the water moves to be able to solve the problem. Um, we're starting a process where we're working with Cass County and Crow Wing County and then the Soil and Water Conservation Districts to develop a plan for this entire watershed as a joint effort between the counties and the Soil and Water Conservation Districts. And the idea is to kind of get a more holistic idea uh, approach to this entire area um, and then also kind of work partnering across those county lines so we can address the issues within that area. And so the area we're working with is what's called the Pine River Watershed that starts kind of by Bacchus and includes the Whitefish Chain area, uh, Breezy Point, and the Outing Emily area, and then eventually kind of the, the Pine River drains into the Mississippi. And so we have a sort of area defined based off how the water moves. Um, and so that area is going to be kind of our planning boundary and the goal, again, is uh, through collaboration, working with these different partners to come up with a plan to address um, issues and concerns within this area and come up with an implementation plan to um, either improve the water quality or maintain what we have. And I didn't realize how big of an area we're talking about, Melissa. Yeah, it's about 800 square miles. Um, so it includes uh, like six or seven cities. So Pine River, Bacchus, Jenkins, Breezy Point. Manhattan Beach, 50 Lakes, Outing, and Emily. Um, And we are truly blessed in this area because we do have a lot of high-quality forest. There's a lot of state land, um, and there's a lot of uh, forest land already, and that is one of the reasons our lakes are so good in this region. And we do have a lot of great resources, um, like the Whitefish Chain and, obviously, Pelican Lake. You know, I mean, those are resources that we've um, people continue to come back for tourism as well as fisheries and um, other habitat sources. Um, and so through this process, we'll be kind of having some meetings to discuss, um, you know, what is priorities and concerns based off the data that the state has collected. Um, and so we're having an open house meeting on uh, Monday, May 7th at Ideal Township Hall from 8.30 to 11.30. And uh, Gary Roach, uh, Mr. Walleye, will be there to kind of chat about his experience. He's actually a native from this area. He grew up and has been fishing these waters for way longer than <laughs> either of us have. Sure. <laughs> and so he will be a great asset to just kind of talk about what he's seen over the years. Um, and then we're going to talk a little bit about, you know, what is this planning process and why we're doing it. And then um, we're going to also kind of talk about what data has been collected on this area and what do we know about how things are doing. And then we're going to have some time for people to also discuss, you know, what are some issues and concerns that they have or would like to see addressed through this plan. And then we'll take that information and incorporate that as a part of the planning process. Um, So it's kind of about a year planning process and we'll be, um, again, partnering with the counties and the soil and water conservation districts. And uh, there's a policy committee that will be kind of Uh, providing direction on how we go through this planning process. Um, But the end, the idea is that 
by going through this planning process that we would be eligible for some of the Clean Water Land and Legacy Amendment dollars um, and that we would get some direct dollars to implement that plan. We're kind of starting in this process. Again, we're wanting people's input and we're having this kickoff event so that people can come and provide their input. If you're not able to come and attend, um, you can give us a call at the Crow Wing Soil and Water Conservation District and we can also um, take down your information. Um, you can go Google Crow Wing Soil and Water Conservation Districts and give us a call. Um, but we'll be at, again at the Ideal Township Hall, 8.30 to 11.30 on a Monday, May 7th. Again, Mr. Walleye, Gary Roach will be there. There'll be a light breakfast, and uh, we're going to be kicking off this planning process. A couple of things on this, Melissa. Uh, number one, you mentioned people can come to you with issues and concerns that they may have. If I may, let me flip that around. What are some of the issues and concerns that you guys at Crowing Soil and Water and some of the other uh, people that you're joining with for this plan have? Yeah, that's a great question. So um, we have done, through the state studies, um, one of the things that we have learned is that a lot of lakes are doing pretty well, um, but some of the lakes have declining trends in water clarity. So that means that uh, Lake Association has been taking uh, long-term data on how far they can see into the lake. Um, and so we know that some lakes have a decrease in water clarity over time. And so uh, the main thing that we focus for in lakes is what it's called phosphorus. So phosphorus is uh, the stuff that creates uh, algae or plant growth. And so as phosphorus increase, the clarity decreases. And so um, one of the things we're going to be looking at is, you know, what are some of those lakes that have declining trends? And then what are some of the sources of that phosphorus? And what can we do about it? Um, so for an example of something that we've done like that on Highway 66, um, uh, just north of the city of Manhattan Beach, there was a culvert that was um, draining straight into the lake. And we were able to um, work with partners, Crowing County, the Highway Department, as well as um, the city of Manhattan Beach and White Fishery Property Owners Association. And we were able to come up with a, a practice to kind of capture that, that sediment um, that's going into the lake um, prior to going into the lake. And, and we're hoping that once that project is completed, we'll be able to see some tangible results um, based off that project. So that could be an example of what we would do for implementation. Some of the other concerns, um, there has been some streams more in the sort of western part of the, the watershed that um, they aren't having... Um, as many fish species and invertebrate species as they used to. Um, and so there may be some stuff we can do within those streams to help with that. Um, and then there are some lakes that aren't meeting state standards. There's a couple lakes in this area that aren't meeting state standards. Um, and so we'll be looking at those. The other thing is is just um, the forestry. We know that we have a lot of good water quality because of the forestry, and so we want to maintain that. We want to make sure that we can kind of um, work with landowners to make sure they're managing their land as well as protect that land from future development. Um, and so this watershed is going to look a little different than some of the other watersheds in the state um, because we have, um, you know, some really high quality resources as well as we have some high quality forest. And so it's not going to be similar to maybe southern Minnesota um, and how they go about doing it. But it's exciting opportunity to kind of show the state of Minnesota what protection looks like 
And uh, one of the main goals that was developed um, based off a study done by Pete Jacobson, who is the DNR Fisheries out of Park Rapids, is that um, once a lake area, so let's say, for example, the whitefish chain, uh, once an area is more than 25% disturbed, so that could be, you know, urban land uses, farming, agricultural, any of those kind of land uses, then a lot of times it's, it's harder to maintain the actual tulipi, which are cold water fish species, into the future. And so we're kind of using that as one of the standards we're looking at, is how do we get some of these areas so that they're at that 75% protected so that um, we can maintain those uh, fisheries into the future. It's amazing work that you guys do. Um, I'm sure a lot of it is proactive, Melissa. Yeah, and that's what's exciting to me is we're not, you know, we're not in an area where everything isn't meeting state water qualities and it's going to cost a ton of money to um, bring it back. We're in an area where we can do some small fixes here and there. In certain areas, we may not have to do anything. So I think that's what's exciting. And, you know, I think this will be a great opportunity to get people involved through this planning process and find out more about their area. And then the other thing is the connectedness that, you know, even people in Cass County do affect kind of our water quality in our county. And, you know, we're all kind of connected through the water and how do we individual people kind of manage their land so that collectively, you know, we can maintain this. Because, you know, if you look at the property values of the whitefish chain and um, big trout, I mean, it's in Breezy Point, you know, we know that the economic value to our community is based off the property taxes as well as the tourism. And I think in general, you know, people enjoy this area um, and want to retire and work here because it's beautiful and we have all these resources. No doubt. I think the entire state is going to be keeping a very close eye on how this all works out. It's the uh, One Watershed Plan, uh, One Watershed One Plan, I should say, um, and it's uh, going to be taking part in the Pine River watershed. And once again, there is the open house and informational meeting, kickoff meeting that's going to be on Monday, May 7th from 8.30 till 11.30 at the Ideal Township Community Center. And as Melissa said, too, if you can't make that meeting, just Google Crow Wing Soil and Water. Give them a call over there, and they'll have all kinds of information for you. Uh, Anything else, Melissa, you wanted to add? Nope. Just thank you very much for uh, the time, and um, let's uh, hope the ice comes out soon. Yeah. (laughs) Everybody's got their fingers crossed, so we'll see. Some great work you guys do there at Crowing Soil and Water. Melissa, I appreciate you coming on, and uh, we'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you. More of Branded Outdoors after this. You're listening to the place for everything outdoors in the Brainerd Lakes and beyond. Brainerd Outdoors Radio, just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. Now here's your host, Brian Moon. Time for our Hungry Hunter segment here on Brainerd Outdoors, and we go back, as we always do, to our chef, and that would be Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon. And this week, uh, we go the hunting route, and the wild game recipe, Joel, you teach us how to make wild turkey Wild turkey. What's this all about? Well, wild turkey, wild turkey is really, it's really all about the marinade. If you're going to cook wild turkey, why not use wild turkey bourbon? Makes sense. So we're going to take a couple of turkey breasts, slice those down into half-inch to inch-wide strips, rinse them off a little bit of water, and pat dry. Next, we'll start making the marinade. Take a little bit of your wild turkey whiskey, a little bit of mustard, a spicy mustard, uh, honey, and Worcestershire sauce, and mix that together until it's nice and smooth. Add in your turkey strips, toss it in the cooler for uh, you know up to three to four hours. Really let that marinade soak in there. Next, we will combine a, a little dry dust for our for our turkey. 
We'll combine flour, salt, thyme, basil, onion powder, garlic powder, a little cayenne pepper, and some sweet paprika to color it up a little bit. Take our turkey out of our marinade, toss it in with our nice dry dust, and drop into the fryer. Fry it on both sides until it's nice and golden brown. Pull it out. Again, pat dry with a couple of paper towels and sprinkle with Parmesan cheese. Man, that sounds fantastic. And I, I have yet to cook with whiskey at all. I do a lot of cooking with wine. Is there a trick to that, Joel, and there's, is there something you can screw up? Yeah, when you're cooking with whiskey, you really got to watch your flame. It's easy to flame up really well, so turn your, uh, turn your burner off as you add your whiskey in there because it will, <laughs> it will this, flame up pretty well. Did you find this out from experience? Oh, yeah. We use whiskey a lot. So that's uh, number one. That's the biggest thing. Anything else that people can, can you know, maybe add too much or, or not enough and then you don't get the flavor to it? Too much. You'll get a little bit too much sweetness in there, I think. Uh, and make sure you let that cook out. And this would be actually good as an appetizer for something simple to, to put out there. Um, side dishes. Again, I would you know go with rice or uh, mashed potatoes. I like mashed potatoes a lot. So, well, give it a try. Uh, head to our website, BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Click on the recipes tab, and then you can uh, try this recipe and many, many more that uh, Chef Joel has been nice enough to share with us. Wild turkey, wild turkey. Our hungry hunter segment for this week. Uh, Chef Joel, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, three seventy one North and Baxter. Thanks, Joel. Yeah, thanks, Brian. And that'll put a wrap on this week's show. A couple things. Uh, you can catch Brainerd Outdoors, first and foremost, just after 7, Saturday mornings, Sunday evenings at 7, and Monday mornings at 5, right here on B93.3. If you're away from your radio or out of town want to catch the show live, you can do that by streaming us live at BrainerdOutdoorsRadio.com. Just click on the Listen Live tab. And if you miss this week's show or want to relive some of it, a variety of ways for you to check it out. Number one, website. Download it. Listen to it right there. And now we are all over the podcast world, wherever you download or listen to podcasts simply search Brainerd Outdoors subscribe there's a variety of platforms out there podcast one iTunes Google Play Apple Podcasts they're all out there download us subscribe give us a great rating we'd appreciate that yeah wherever you download or listen to podcasts we are available just search Brainerd Outdoors and while you're at it you can give us a like on Facebook and follow us on Instagram as well we'll see you next weekend for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors I'm Brian Moon Brainerd Outdoors has been brought to you by Vermal Shoe Store, Randall, Newman Construction, Thielen Meats, and Little Falls, SCR Northern, the guys who answer the phone, Northern Sales and Manufacturing, your Ice Castle dealer in Pine River, Tracker Boating Center of Brainerd, Oars and Mine and Crosby, Pine River State Bank, Bymert Outdoors Archery Pro Shop, Jack Pine Brewery, the official beer of Brainerd Outdoors, Freedom Firearms, The Power Lodge, Chef Robert's Fish Breading Mix, s and W Bait and Tackle, Crow Wing Recycling, Napa Auto Parts in Baxter, Black Bear Lodge and Saloon, Nielsen Hardware and RV, your Central Minnesota Ice Castle dealer, and by Radco, your truck accessory pros. Join Brian Moon just after 7 Saturday mornings, Sunday evening at 7, and Monday mornings at 5 for another edition of Brainerd Outdoors right here on B93.3.